That's good stuff, huh? We showed that to the kiddos and the youth earlier. I just thought it fits so well with our um, us going through Acts. And so uh, let's pray, if we would. Father, thank you so much for good news. Lord, I thank you that uh, you are a God that is loving and kind and gracious and, and wonderful to us. That, um, Lord, you've given us a message that is good news. <clears throat> Lord, that as you send us out into the world to, to tell people, it's not something that we have to... Um, cower away from or apologize for, Lord. It's, it's something that we can just share with full joy, with a smile on our face, joy in our heart, God, to know that uh, we are indeed uh, helping people by bringing them to you. So, uh, Lord, again, what a joy, even just the freedoms that we have to come and worship you on a morning like this, a beautiful day. Lord, uh, we thank you for the incredible blessings that we have. We never want to take these for granted. To help us to appreciate one another, to appreciate your word today to appreciate your church, and to appreciate, most of all, uh, your son dying on a cross for us. So we love you. Amen. All right. Well, it's great to be with you this morning. I'm Chris. I'm the children's pastor. So I always say that just because if you don't have little guys and you're not dropping them off over there, I may not see you very often. So, uh, But I get a chance to preach here. We're going to be in Acts 17 today, so it's kind of exciting that uh, if you want to go ahead and turn there or turn your Bible on and, and uh, scroll over there or something like that, that'd be great. And uh, I wanted to talk about uh, an idea that, that it's kind of a big deal to me, and I talk about it a lot, I know, but it just fits this passage so much. And it's the idea of this, is that, that ideas have consequences. And I think we know this intuitively. Uh, Jesus was pretty clear. He says, what you believe in your heart is going to show in your actions, that if you believe the good news, then you're going to show it in your life, and you're going to want to tell it, right? That uh, you're going to be willing to be sent. And if, but if your ideas oppose God, then that'll also show in your life. And Jesus talked about the idea that a tree, a tree will yield its fruit. There was an article in the Religion News Service in September of, uh, 2017. The headline said, uh, Witch doctors are sacrificing children in drought-stricken Uganda. So it's the idea that there's a uh, drought that's gone on the worst in a half century in Uganda. It's leaving 11 million people in a landlocked country hungry. There's just no food. So they resorted to going to witch doctors because they believe that uh, this is all brought on by ancestral spirits. And so the solution for some is to have the witch doctors uh, sacrifice humans to appease the spirits. And so they believe that that'll bring quick uh, health and wealth. So they've had children disappearing every week. Sometimes they'll survive and they've got uh, you know, missing body parts that they've used as part of certain rituals and things. Dozens of women have, have gone missing, sacrificed, maimed, even if they do survive. So a lot of us in the West, right, we would look at that and go, gosh, that's weird, you know, that's, I can't have a hard time understanding how somebody could believe ideas like that, right? But a, another headline last year uh, said this, it said, Iceland is on pace to virtually eliminate Down syndrome. It's not by medical breakthrough, but by aborting all the children with, with it. They've got, uh, you know, screening tests that they can do uh, before, you know, the, the child is born and state-funded health care that kind of demands it, and they've got, they create this environment where there's enormous pressure to abort because it's considered this selfish use of precious state resources to raise a child with Downs, despite the fact, of course, that many Downs children live long and full healthy lives and are an absolute joy to their parents and their families. And so there was an interview with a, a mother named, um, who had a seven-year-old named Augusta, and she had Downs that didn't show up on the screen uh, screening test, and, but she, the mother asked this very interesting question now that her daughter was seven years old. She said, what kind of society do you want to live in? And that is an important question, isn't it? <laughs> what kind of society do we want? You know, even personally, you can ask, you know, what kind of life do I want to live? So when you, say, when you ask that question, you have to ask, well, which ideas do we embrace then? 
you know, because ideas have consequences and we know this. See, I don't see a whole lot of difference really between Iceland and Uganda. And I'm not sure it's really all that arrogant to think that it's an inferior belief to kill the most vulnerable in our society to preserve some idea of health and wealth. Whether you say it's because of ancestral curses or to preserve precious state resources. See, I mean, you got to ask the question, is it really all that intolerant to say that some ideas are superior to others? There's all kinds of ideas around the globe, right? I mean, think about it, just economically, socialism, capitalism, communism, traditional economies, you've got Sharia law versus monarchy versus dictatorship versus representative democracy versus anarchy. You've got Buddhism versus Islam versus Hinduism versus uh, atheism versus the gospel. You've got God as a creator or you've got a material universe, those competing with one another. And so how do you know which one's true, right? Well, how do you know which one is inferior? Well, they can't all be right because they contradict each other. And they can't even all be equally valid and true either. Because nobody, we know this, nobody lives their daily life like all ideas are equal, even though some people give it lip service. I don't think that they really believe that and live that way because if they did, if they thought truly that all ideas had equal weight and value, then I'd ask them what they think about neo-Nazism, pedophilia, sex trafficking, terrorism, genocide. Are all those equal, are those equal ideas, right? Nobody believes that. I mean, take music. Nobody, nobody really believes that disco is equal in value to 80s hair band rock, right? I mean, come on, people, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, we all know that Dunkin' Donuts and Pete's Coffee is far superior to Starbucks, right? Don't we know this? You know, and let's not even talk about the inferiority of bandwagon Giants fans. Let's not even go there. So, I, seriously, that's for you, Scott. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, by the way, the A's threw a no-hitter last night. I don't know what the Giants did, but the A's threw a no-hitter. So, um, but seriously, I mean, think about it, you guys. We all know that some ideas are just simply superior to others. And I, I'm trying not to sound arrogant in saying that because, you know, we don't, want, we don't want to come off as arrogant. But is it really all that wrong in our culture, really, to say that Jesus' ideas can be superior? And you can say that without acting superior, that we're just sinners saved by grace like everybody else. But we got to convince people that the gospel is good news and that the good news is the best news, right? Just like what the video is talking about. We're saved by grace through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection. That idea is so superior to the world's inferior ideas and all this junk they throw at us. Am I right? I mean, it is. And so there's a lot of times that people, though, unfortunately think that Christianity, they see us for what we're against rather than what we're for. And C.S. Lewis talked about this. He said, you know what? We're not here to cut down jungles. We're here to irrigate deserts. And I like that. Because the gospel is superior, yeah, but not because we're against wrong things or particular bad things. It's, it's because we're for good things. It's, it's because of all the good things that we are for. So it's not so much, really, that we're against child sacrifice and aborting Down syndrome children in the womb. It's that we're for the value of human life in and outside of the womb at all times until natural death because we are made in God's image. And that idea is so powerful that it affects every other decision you make. So yeah, based on that foundational issue, then yes, we can say it's wrong to abort Down syndrome. Yes, it's wrong to sacrifice children. 
Well, we're continuing the series sent. We're going through the book of Acts. And so we get a little glimpse here of how do we communicate now this good news to people? How do we, how do we think about the idea that our, that our gospel is superior and, and communicate that? And last week, Pastor Mike was talking about uh, in chapter 16 uh, in Philippi, where uh, Paul and Silas were jailed. And they had this miraculous escape. So if you didn't hear that, if you're backed up a little bit, I suggest you go back and listen to that. But today then, Paul's now moving on to another city called Thessalonica. All right, so here's kind of the idea. And again, I'm using a big bunch of big college words for your fill-ins and stuff like that, but it'll make sense. It's this, that Paul in Thessalonica is this idea that jealous legalism uses subjective emotions to intimidate others. I'll make, that'll make sense, I think, in a bit. So uh, we think that right now um, we're in AD 50, and when Paul is going to, and so in, in uh, Rome, though, in AD 49, so one year prior, uh, Emperor Claudius had expelled all of the Jews from Rome because of different riots and things that were happening inside of Rome. So many of the, the Jews in Rome were spread out all over the world. And so this is only several months later. And so now some of them perhaps have gone to Thessalonica, right? Or, or at least word has gotten out that the emperor is not keen on these riots, these religious riots. And so we're going to see in this text how the people in Thessalonica, these Jews that continually keep opposing him, well, these jealous legalists are following him around. And they're, now they're going to use this idea of you know, the, the emperor being upset about these riots to put pressure on the, the authorities in this city. So let's look at chapter 17, verse 1 through 4. Now, one thing I want you to do is pay close attention to the verbs that are happening in, this, in these verses, okay? Verse 1, when Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three days and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is Messiah. He said, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and a few prominent women. Okay, so Paul travels over the course of several days, perhaps uh, 100 miles, 100 miles to get to Thessalonica. He goes into the synagogue, as Pastor Mike's been preaching, you know, he would start there because these are people that believe in the Old Testament. So he would go and reason with them from the Old Testament to explain how Jesus is on every page of the Old Testament and, and talk about that. It's a much easier starting place than you would have for these Greeks who were polytheists and believed in many gods and things like that. And so we know that at least he was there for at least three weeks. And so by looking now at the verbs that he uses, in this passage, I think it gives us a real strategy for how can we think about being sent out into the world, all right? So it's the idea of sharing our faith. Now, I understand <laughs> sharing our faith is scary, right? How many of you just get completely freaked out about the idea of sharing your faith with somebody? You can raise your hand, really. It's okay. I still do too. And I love doing it. And I've been like trained in it when I was in college and campus crusade for Christ and loved it. And, and I've done it a lot and I look for opportunities and stuff. And, but even then, you know, when that time comes and it's time to like say the words, you're like, there's my opening. I'm going to get, you know, and you just shy away and you had it right there and the doors slam shut. And you're like, oh man, maybe next time. Right? And, and so there's nothing, I think, that freaks out Christians quite so much as sharing their faith sometimes. But Luke records here Paul's strategy, kind of a progression here. It's not as hard as it may feel sometimes. I want to urge you, you know, you can do this. So think about it in these terms, okay? So we're, again, we're looking at the verbs that were used. Uh, these are six ways to communicate the gospel. And there's a lot of nuances here in the original Greek languages but, um, with these words, but I, I won't go into a lot of that. But the first one here is reasoned, okay? Our first word is reasoned. And um, dialegomai is the, the Greek word, okay? So you can hear in that the idea of dialogue. 
It's kind of this idea of discussion, all right, that, that's debating and correcting misunderstandings. And, and again, I think a lot of people today really freak out about this idea of debate. You know, well, we're, I don't want to disagree and, you know, we're going to hurt somebody's feelings. We're going to, um, you know, offend somebody or I'm mean, look intolerant. But listen, you guys know we need to be able to debate certain things. We got to be able to talk about things without always feeling like we have to retreat to safe spaces, you don't learn anything if you don't talk about things and perhaps disagree and, oh, no, get a feeling hurt now and again, right? And, and so it's how we learn is to argue and debate, with, but you can do that without being contentious. You can disagree without being disagreeable. So the implication here is uh, a lot of listening. It's not just declaring, but it's a lot of listening. And so understand their belief, hear what they have to say, and then answer it. Francis Schaeffer was an old Christian kind of philosopher, theologian years ago, and somebody asked him, what would you do if you had an hour to share with somebody? He says, well, I'd listen for the first 55 minutes, and then I'd take the last, that way I'd know what to say in the last five minutes. I think that's, that's really wise. So just listen to people. That's kind of this idea of reason. And then number two is explain, explaining, right? This has more the, the connotation of opening, right? And we know this. When you, when you explain somebody, you're kind of opening it up to them, right? Conversing about important things, opening it up. And so it's this idea of accurately portraying what it's about. Now, again, here's kind of another problem, you know. It seems like there's so many, so many of us that, that don't understand our faith well enough to explain it simply, to just know what to say in, in two, three minutes, if that's all you have, what it really means to follow Christ. And you got to be able to explain it. So there's a great app. It's called Life on Mission app. I'm going to show you a picture. It, it'll take you through this, these little concentric circles. In fact, it'll do it kind of one at a time. I'm just giving you the end result here. But this is just a great way to share your faith. You can do it on your phone. It's even got a video. It'll, like, it'll explain it. You just go, here. I don't know what to say. Just, just watch this, okay? And you can do that. But you start up in the upper left here with God's design and God creating the world perfectly. Adam and Eve, perfect garden, all that thing. It was meant to, to be close with us and have a fellowship. And yet we sinned. So that brought us over to brokenness where now we, we're, we're in our sin. We've got these false ideas and, and all this brokenness that we feel. And so when we repent and we believe, we turn away from those things and we come and we, we believe the gospel. It brings us to the gospel. And by living out the gospel, we will recover and pursue the, God's original design, which is fellowship and closeness with us. That's pretty easy, am I right? I mean, I just blurted out over minute and a half, and you, and you could do the same. It's right on an app. So I, this is a great um, resource for you. And so um, the third one is proving. Now, this means to carefully answer objections and claims and questions that people would have. We're going to talk a little bit more about this later, but this can be really intimidating. I know because you're like, I don't have the answers, you know, but, but listen, I really, I, I tend to think there's really only about five, maybe six questions that most people have, objections to Christianity. And honestly, there's about one or two good answers to each one of those. And if you just could memorize one or two things about five or six issues, you've got enough bullets in your gun to just really be able to, to just answer these objections. We all can remember those things. So I'd urge you just to think about it in terms of that. You don't have to know everything. You just got to know a couple good things. And we'll talk about that in a bit. Number four is proclaiming, proclaiming clear teachings about Jesus as it's revealed, not made up. And that's why you can see here in verse three, where Paul says he's keeping about the cross and the resurrection, right? He's not diverging into secondary issues. He's talking about the cross and resurrection. 
Now, a little tactical issue here for you, and this is something I've, I've just kind of think through, and I don't always do this well enough, and I need to do it better, but I try to not um, get into secondary issues right away. Try not to lead with that stuff when I'm talking to somebody. I mean, look, we all have different ideas about creation and end times and social issues and political stuff, and oh my gosh, there's so much stuff to talk about, and yet Paul's saying, I don't want to talk about that. Let's talk about the gospel, because other, other places in Scripture, he'll talk about the, that the cross, the gospel, is a stumbling block. So what, what he's saying is that there's, it's hard enough for people to accept the idea of a, of a perfect, sinless man being crucified for them and all their sin being taken away so that we can be close to God again. Like, people trip over that. And so his appeal is, don't you be a stumbling block before you get somebody to the cross, right? I mean, we do this. There's so many times that we start on secondary issues, these things that don't really matter. And, we, and they're so offended by us or by the way we talk or the things that we say that we never actually get them to the cross. We have done them a great disservice. We need to get people to the cross and if they trip over Jesus, hey, well, I've done my part, right? If you got a problem with Jesus, then... And, but I've gotten out of the way enough to bring you to Jesus, I've, that's fine. That's great. But the, the, the worst possible thing I think you could do is to, um, is to get in the way before you get them to Jesus, right? And Paul even talks about this in 1 Corinthians. He says, I resolve to know nothing among you except for Christ. I want to preach Christ and him crucified. That's it. That's all I'm talking about, right? So be careful with that, with these uh, you know, secondary issues. And that's tough. Right? Because, but you don't want people equating political and social views with the gospel. Also, on this note of proclaiming is that, that the gospel must be proclaimed. I know it's kind of inherent in the, the thought here, but it's not enough just to live it out. you got to say the words. So some of you may have this cute little coffee mug or little thing that says, you know, um, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. I think we've talked about this before, but this is a big one for me. But um, you've, you've seen that, and it's cute. That, that's really cute. Um, it's kind of dumb, though. Uh, and and so I'm sorry if you have that and you really like it. I get what you're saying, but honestly, it's really kind of dumb because the gospel of grace is so counter to our human heart default, which goes to works righteousness, right? I mean, we always think that we can earn our way to heaven, Every religion in the world, every other thought process is, is geared about earning our way to heaven. So the gospel that, that, that we can get to heaven by trusting Christ is so counter to everything that people, you, you cannot understand grace and the cross and resurrection by observing somebody's good life. They're just going to think you're a nice person. Who, but that doesn't help them with the gospel. There's plenty of nice people out there who don't know the gospel, right? So you got to say the words, friends. Look at Romans 10, 14. Paul, you know, later on says, how then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one they've not heard? And how can they hear without somebody preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? Being sent. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The fifth one is persuaded. This is the idea of convincing somebody uh, to believe because it's true. Now, again, I know that we kind of freak out about this, but, but listen, it is really okay to persuade somebody. You're not being intolerant. 
We do this all the time with food and restaurants and products and TV shows and stuff like, dude, you got to see this movie. You got to watch this show. You got to eat this burrito, whatever it is, right? You got, I mean, we persuade all the time. And, it's, and you're not being pushy or, co- or coercing or intolerant if you say that this burrito is better than this burrito. You just go try it out and you make a decision, right? It's just you're persuading. And so... One of the commentators mentioned this. He said, uh, if, the, if the creator and Lord of the universe has given a final message to the human race and we know it, then we must do everything in our power and within our principles to bring people to appropriate the message in their lives. You see, some people are just trapped by bad ideas. And yes, all people have value and they deserve to be heard, but not all of their ideas are the same of value. The gospel liberates us. It frees us from having to try to make it work ourselves. And if the gospel is superior to sin, which I hope I can get an amen on that, is that, um, and can, and, and you can show how, then doggone it, go persuade. You're not coercing them. You're not showing disdain for people who oppose you. You're not imposing or emotionally manipulating. You're just lovingly with grace, appealing to the beauty of the gospel and the truthfulness of it. And that, you guys, is loving them. That is showing them dignity. That is respecting their individual choice to say, hey, I know you, you think this. Let me show you something else over here. Let me show you how beautiful this gospel is. What do you think? What do you think? Would you want that? And, that's, and persuade them from your own life. Last week in Philippi, uh, we had this woman, Lydia, who had a very gentle and tender conversion. Then uh, also we saw a slave girl with this very abrupt conversion. Then we had the jailer with a, with a miraculous conversion. But this week, I think, you know, some of you guys perhaps or other people you know, they just need a uh, persuasive conversion. They need to be convinced. And maybe that's the route that God takes to win their heart. And so um, that may be you doing that. Number six is joined. Uh, this is the idea of having their minds changed. These people that Paul and Silas were talking to, they had their minds changed, they were convinced, they joined the apostles. And this, of course, is the goal of being sent, is to communicate the gospel and persuade somebody to join us. So Paul and Silas did the job of a sent out one, and they just left the results up to God. And sometimes the hardest part about being sent is actually then speaking those words of the gospel and putting our day ideas out there. But... It's good news, yeah? I mean, who doesn't want to hear some good news? Well, let's look at verse five. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. These guys didn't want the good news. Um, So they rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They're defying Caesar's decrees, which is funny, uh, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus, because they're so loyal to Caesar, you know. Um, when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. They made Jason and others post bond and let them go. So again, the, these officials are afraid that there's going to be some rioting and turmoil like there was in Rome and the emperor is not going to be so happy about that. So they make Jason post bond, which is basically a security deposit to make sure that he gets Paul and Silas out of the city and they can't come back. Now, Paul and Silas would have loved to have stayed. They talked about the idea that uh, Satan hindered us from going. And the brothers, we were torn away from you when he's writing First Thess- Thessalonians. 
But even in opposition, with Paul gone, that church survived. They had a strong faith, and God protected them. So we've seen all through Acts, we see it again today, how contentious grace can be, right? And it's going to upset these legalists. These guys that just that have to have it their own way, and sometimes legalists says they're jealous, but they, they have their own ideas, and they think their ideas are superior, and they're, they've got the closed minds, but the gospel is so radical that they come and they say, these guys have caused trouble all over the world. And the other translations say they've turned the world upside down. You're darn right. It's still happening 2,000 years later, right? And you will get opposition, just as Paul did. Your ideas will cause some people to freak out. But it's the ideas we oppose, right? It's not the people. Um, Paul talks later about our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against rulers and authorities and powers of the dark world. He says, we don't wage world, uh, war as the world does. We have divine power to demolish strongholds and, and demolish every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So he's saying, we're not, we're not fighting these people. We're fighting these ideas. And so our, this disdain and vitriol and hatred that we see in our culture today, I mean, you, we know it's coming from both sides, all sides, but it's where we stop seeing each other as a person and human being made in the image of God and we start seeing disagreements as a reason to hate a person. So we're not arguing ideas now. We're arguing hatred among people. And so the question is, you know, are your political and social opinions based all on the principles of scriptures? I mean, are you sure about that? Have you studied enough to know that this, this truly is founded on scripture? Or are you, is it just, just what you like? Or is that what you were raised with? Or do you kind of cherry pick some verses here and there to back up your own idea? I mean, would you really allow yourself, and you got to ask, would you allow Scripture to supersede your own ideas and biases? Would you spend more energy on political and social causes and things like that than you do sharing the gospel? And if so, would you consider that maybe you've caused some people to stumble on the way to the cross? Are you an Ian in the video? (laughs) Are you a rather nasty chap? Who doesn't bring the good news, right? I, so, and this is hard for me because I, I love history. I'm a history major. I love politics and current events and things like that. I just love it. So I, but I've really had to kind of discipline myself and I try and I don't always succeed, but to not make all these like political and social posts and stuff on, on Facebook or whatever um, for that reason. And so, a while, but a while back I made this post. It was like a I was basically talking about the moral argument for Christianity because this is the stuff that gets me revved up, right? And so um, basically I was kind of saying this, that if you, if you don't believe in God, then you have to believe that like the, the material universe is eternal. I know I'm like, you know, way up here, but, but I know. But it's the idea that if God doesn't exist forever, then the universe exists forever. And if the universe is just mass and chaos and molecules and stuff like that, then, we're, we're not, then we don't have a soul. There is no supernatural. We're just moist robots, right? That's kind of the idea. And so I was making this point, and I was just saying, like, listen, if you're just a moist robot, then um, you, you have nothing to say. You have no basis to say that anything is right or wrong, Okay. And think about it, because ideas of right or wrong are based and grounded in the idea of an of a, of objective standard like God. And so if you don't believe in God, there's nothing, it's just opinion. 
and it's your opinion and your opinion and whatever. So you have no basis to say anything is right or wrong because you, you're saying your opinion is better than his opinion and who are you to say? What are you going to base it on? So that was kind of the, the, the crux of the argument, right? Well, I got this guy, Steve, and he fires back, okay? And he starts attacking me. You're stupid. This is, you don't understand the issue, da, 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 da. And I said, you know, I was basically back and forth, you know, on this thing. And I just, I was trying for discussion, you know, trying for experience explaining and persuading and proclaiming all that kind of stuff, looking for dialogue, reasoning, proving, stuff like that. And he just was firing back with all these insults and stuff. And I just finally said, I said, dude, do you, do you scrutinize your own ideas with the same fervor that you attack mine? I go, dude, I haven't seen you since seventh grade, bro. <laughs> it's true. Um, I, and you've never shared your own ideas. So either put up your own ideas and let's scrutinize that and let's put it up to the light or stop trolling because that's what you're doing. I said, you're insulting me, but an insult is not an argument, so let's just drop it. And he still trolls me now and again and stuff like that, and I just kind of ignore it. But, you know, I mean, that's what you're going to get. These little Thessalonian legalists chasing you around, right? They're just like, nah, 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 nah. But, but again, see, I'm trying, but to me at least, I was, it was on an important issue. There is a God, an objective standard, right? And it wasn't on, you know, some social issue that doesn't really matter, but if you try to irrigate deserts and show that God's good news is superior, you're going to get attacked. And usually the attacks will, will take this form, right? It's not about the substance of your ideas. They're going to attack you personally, just like they did with Paul. And now they're saying that, they, oh, he's defying Caesar. He's saying Jesus is king, and we're so loyal to Caesar. Really? The Jews under Roman occupation, you're as loyal to Caesar now. But they, you know, they're pulling something out of the air and attacking Paul with it. And there's just a time to drop it and leave. And that's what Paul and Silas do. And they, even though they wanted to stay, they left. And so it's so much like today, you guys. And you know, there's some people that just label aspects of biblical truth as grounds to punch somebody in the throat. <laughs> I mean, I was wondering, are we nearing a time where saying that Jesus is the only way of salvation is going to be hate speech? I really don't think we're all that far from there. Because what? We can't have an open discussion about ideas? I think culture is going the way of the Thessalonian legalists. So how do we communicate the gospel of good news? Well, it's better to be a Berean. So let's see where Paul goes next. He goes to the city of Berea. The idea here is that noble character seeks objective truth in Scripture with an open mind. Look at verse 10. He says, As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there... Uh, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Same pattern, right? Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And as a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. It's great. So they were willing to look. And here's a little side note. It's just one of those little gospel nuggets here. Look at the heterogeneous nature of this church. You've got rich and poor. You've got all races and backgrounds and social standings. So the beauty of a gospel church is, and this is why I'm persuaded this is a superior idea, is that God has his people from every social and political class, all ethnic and economic backgrounds, coming together to worship the one God. There's no caste system. There's no hierarchy to climb. It's all people with value made in the image of God, true unity and diversity worshiping together. It's beautiful. Right? You can persuade with that. That'll persuade somebody, hope. Well, Berea's 50 miles away. 50 miles! These Thessalonians are going to fall in 50. I'm not walking 50 miles to go, to, you know, 
argue with somebody. Well, maybe I would, man. Um, but, it, you know, I drive it. Um, <laughs> no, but think of this, this idea of noble character, you know. Noble character means high-born. It's kind of open and tolerant and good breeding, really, is kind of the, the core of the issue. But it's nobility is listening to other people's ideas and arguing points on their merit, using objective standard of scriptures, what they did, the Bible as the final authority, and so their nobility was in their willingness to even look at the scripture, to, to think about the idea that their ideas may be wrong and be open to the gospel. And they didn't just accept it uncritically. They were studying it every day to see if it was true. And they found out for themselves, honest evaluation, no compulsion. And so nobility is true tolerance, true open-mindedness. And we said this before, there's just it bears repeating here, just the idea of old tolerance versus new. D.A. Carson's a theologian. He has a great lecture on, the, it's called The Intolerance of Tolerance. It's fantastic. Totally suggest it. But um, old tolerance is this idea of this. The way it used to be is the, you would accept the existence of other people's ideas, right? It's kind of this thing that, you know, I don't agree with what you say, but I'll defend to the death your right to say it. That idea, right? Which is what we were kind of founded on. Um, and it's the idea of saying, okay, I'm so confident in biblical Christianity as a truth. I will put it under a microscope and hurl the toughest questions at it, and I know it'll stand, just like the Bereans did. Because if my belief system is so fragile and so easily offended when it's challenged, can it really be true? I mean, come on. And I wonder about these people that get so upset when you challenge a belief system, just, and they're not even willing to look at the merits of it. See, if the Jews in Thessalonica were so convinced that their own view was good enough and superior to have a man killed for it, wouldn't they be able to defend it from Scripture with other Jews, <laughs> right? Wouldn't their view win the day in an open and honest debate proving that it was superior? No, that's old tolerance. New tolerance, though, and this is what we're seeing in our culture here, is not only is this the existence of other beliefs, but now you have to accept the other opinion as true or at least as true as your own. So now all, all opinions have equal value. Not that all people have value, but some of their ideas may be stupid. Um, really, it's the idea that all ideas have equal value. Well, that's not true. And we know, like I said, nobody lives that way. But we've gone from now this free expression of ideas to actually you have to accept everybody's view as val equally valid and true just so people don't get offended. Well, the Bereans, though, they were noble enough to take the scriptures that they loved so much, hold it up to the light, open to having their mind changed. And Paul was able to show them that Jesus is on every page of that Old Testament that they were looking and they believed it. Look at verse 13 though. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up 50 miles away, right? Uh, the believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and the left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. So next week we're going to get Athens. But there are certain parts of our culture, are there not, that um, are authoritarian like these Thessalonian Jews. It's comply or be destroyed. You will believe what we say or we're going to hurt you. And folks, that is not the gospel. The Christianity says, come and see. You know, Jesus, and he's inviting. He says, come follow me. See it yourself. The Bible says, come, let us reason together. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Right? It's an invitation. There is no such thing as a Christian caliphate. Jesus does not compel submission. 
He invites you to investigate the good news for yourself, to see it as superior because he thinks that grace and mercy is a superior idea. And if you've been around Christians who manipulate and coerce, then that's not the gospel. And let me apologize to you for them. I'm sorry. If you've been hurt by people who have pushed the gospel on you and manipulated, they might have meant well, but they don't understand Jesus. No, sent ones, we can disagree without being disagreeable. We can share the good news and actually be happy about it. But that's hard on social media, isn't it? And it's, you gotta be careful. It's just so much better to sit over a cup of coffee, maybe, than type it out, all in caps. <laughs> no, just, just have a cup of coffee, right? Okay, so here's a little application, all right? In order to be sent, to proclaim the good news, you must be able to defend your beliefs, okay? So here's kind of this idea that we talk about in some of our discovery classes, uh, but not all of you have done it. So I urge you today, 101, I urge you to go. But um, we have this idea of open-handed beliefs and closed-handed beliefs. I think we talk about this today, actually. Open-handed beliefs would be secondary issues, like end times or, you know, um, whether creation was seven literal days or millions of years or whatever. You know, those are open-handed secondary issues. We can debate those things and that's fine, but you hold it with an open hand. Close-handed ideas are ones that we hold tight to and we're not going to fudge on those. Okay, so I'm going to give you a couple of the, the closed-handed beliefs because it's really, really, really important that you be able to defend these, to prove and proclaim and exclaim and all of those persuade about these things. Okay, and the first one is that God exists. You've got to be able to defend with all this new atheism and stuff that's out there that God exists. Here's one, here's my, and again, you just need one or two good bullets in the gun. Right, to, to be able to, not a literal gun, please, okay. Uh, just, you know, one, just one or two good little things to, to give to people, right? And so here's kind of the idea that what I, this is what I love doing this because if somebody says they're an atheist, I'm, oh, that's fantastic. I've never met one because I don't think they exist, you know. But, but I just go, um, here's kind of the idea is um, take a piece of paper and just say, hey, um, you know, if this paper represented all of the knowledge that there is to have in the entire universe, how much of it do you think that you know? And if they were honest, they'd go, about like that much, right? If they were honest, they may even be proud and say that much or something. And, and just, and you say, okay, do you think then there's a possibility, just an off chance, that God, a transcendent, infinite God could exist somewhere outside of your realm of knowledge? Now, they would have to say yes, right? And if they balked at it, I'd say, bro, your brain is the size of a football, weighs three pounds and you use 10% of it. Do you not think that you could somehow find a God out here somewhere outside of your thoughts? <laughs> you know? And so if you do that, I say, then good. Then you're not an, an atheist. You're an agnostic. You're just saying you don't know. Because if you're to be able to say that there is no God, you, you must have searched the depths of the universe in every corner and found that there is no God. But guess what we call somebody who can search the depths of the universe? God, so, and you're not him, so, um, you know, I think you're just an agnostic. You're just not sure yet. Let me persuade you about why this is true then. The next one is the deity of Christ. We have to know about the deity of Christ because almost every other belief, some that will call themselves Christians that are not, this is the first place that they break off is the deity of Christ. They'll say that Jesus was created, the created son of God. Some will say that, or that, that he's the spirit brother of Lucifer and all these, these different kinds of things. And, but no, Jesus is eternal God. It's the Trinity. It's the, the Holy Spirit is God. And Colossians 1, verse six, um, chapter 1, verse 16 says, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. 
And again, there's so many good resources. I'll give you some of those. I'm just really highlighting these. But these are things I think that you need to study like a Berean. The next is that the Bible's truth. Bereans believe that. Let me give you a little acrostic. It's not on your thing. Uh, the acrostic is MAPS, M-A-P-S. M stands for manuscripts. That, you know, there's so many manuscripts, 14,000 copies of the New Testament that don't contradict the manuscript evidence. Uh, archaeology, every day finding something new that, that supports the biblical record. P is prophecies, that there's uh, you know, st- the statistics about the probability of some of these prophecies of Jesus coming true are amazing. And uh, S is statistics, that the Bible is written over 1,500 years on three continents by 40 authors with hundreds of controversial issues and yet no contradictions. It's amazing. Death and resurrection is the next one. And uh, I just saw the movie Case for Christ with Lee Strobel. Fantastic. Go see the movie. I didn't even talk about this. Just see the movie. It'll give you all the, all the, the points that you need to make on that issue. Um, Christ is the only way. Again, I think this is one's going to really come under heat in the next couple years that for us to be able to say that, that Christ is the only way to heaven. Um, you know, but the law of non-contradiction says that contradictory statements cannot both be true in the same time and in the same way. So if we say that there's one God and he shows himself through Jesus Christ, that is very different than saying that there's 10 million gods or that there's no personal God. And so you can't either, either one of them is true or none of them are true, but they cannot all be true. So I think I'll just believe the guy who rose from the dead rather than the guy at work that stands next to the water cooler who read an article on it. Okay, so um, I'm going to go with the, that guy that rose from the dead. Objective truth. We've talked a little bit about that, but this moral argument, how do you know what's right and wrong? You know, that the rel- if, you're, if you don't believe in God, then you can't say anything is right or wrong. Um, so here's the thing, and we know this. The, the world is not going to like these answers, yeah? <laughs> it's not going to like what we're saying. Um, but Paul had the courage to be sent in the face of fierce opposition. And our situation is not the same. We're not going to get whipped and jailed and put to death, at least not yet. Uh, but um, our fear is in not knowing how and what to say. And I get that. But you, there's a solution to that. You can study up. So that on Saturday morning when the doorbell rings and there's two fine-looking gentlemen standing at your door, you don't even have to be sent. You can just stay, okay? Just stay there. Open the door and talk to somebody, you know, just have a conversation. Um, I was driving down Byron Highway a couple months ago, this was last summer, and I saw a couple more missionaries are walking this way. It's pretty unmistakable, right? The white shirt, the elder, 19-year-old elder. And, um, and I just pulled over and I said, um, I said, hey, I got some questions about your guys' beliefs. And he's, I said, I would love to get together and, and talk. And he's like, great. I'm like, hey, let's meet at Menchie's. This is Froyo. So we met the next week, you know. First time they'd ever had Froyo. Didn't know it was on the list of banned substances. But apparently, but, but so anyway, so we had, a great, we had a great talk and just great kids. I mean, they're great dudes. And so we just talked about all different, they didn't know I was a pastor. Second meeting, somebody walked by, hey, Pastor Chris. I'm like, oh. yeah, I cover. <laughs> I've been made. I've been made. No, um, no, but we just had this great talk. We met a couple times and, you know, but, but we centered on the, on the basics, right? It was this, this idea that Jesus is eternal God. He's not created. You guys think he was created. He's not been created. There's one true God, not many gods, like they would say. You know, that you, you don't become a God and inhabit your own planet someday. No, there's one God, okay? That salvation is by grace, not by rituals like being baptized for the dead, and boy, we were going around and around. But you know what we did at the start? I said, listen, I believe the Bible, you believe the Bible. 
let's just, everything we say, this is going to be the foundation. So I'm not talking about your other book. Let's just talk about this book, right? And so, what, so that was, it's like the Bereans, right? We were going to reason from the scriptures to see if it was true. And he asked me at the end, he goes, how, how do you know what you say is true? I said, well, it's not because I got some burning in my bosom. That's their expression, you know, for like they know it's true because they feel something. And I asked him, he says, well, I just, I'm convinced. I get these feelings, you know, and I just go, dude, I am not risking my eternity on feelings because my feelings are changing all the time. I want to base my eternity on what's true. So let's talk about what's true, not about what you feel, bro. And, and it, we just had a great talk. And then Thanksgiving Day, remember, some of you may have been there. We, we played football at the park and with the church and their church came and there he was, Muchy. His last name is Muchy. Hey, Muchy, what's up? So we started talking, played some football and we talked afterwards. And I said, you never answered my question. Is Jesus the God of the Old Testament? And do you pray to him? I asked him, do you pray to Jesus? And he didn't know. He didn't know. And then he said, uh, no, Jesus is not the God of the Old Testament. I go, really? Because I've heard that before. So I got his number. I went home. Thanksgiving morning, the bird was on the grill. And I, I just, I looked up, Google, is Jesus the God of the Old Testament and Mormon theology? First one, LDS.org. There it was. I scrolled down half a page. Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. Screenshot, send it to Muchie. I go, dude, here it is on your own website. You got to know what you, he goes, I can't get internet on my phone. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I go, you are killing me, dude. And I, so I typed it out for him. And, but, you know, it was just fun. Now, again, he's a great kid. And I've seen him a couple other times. He helped me move when he was walking up the street. And he helped me move. It's just, so we have a good relationship and, and stuff. But the, and we said, we've got to get together again. Yeah, more froyo. So the idea, though, was this, is that I'm trying to explain and persuade and prove and all those things. And, 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 but we use the scripture as the objective truth basis for it. But, but here's the thing. It's a little embarrassing that the guy's traveling the country and he doesn't quite know what he believes whether he prays to Jesus or not and he's a really nice kid and many of you are really nice folks and it's a it's kind of a shame that you're not quite sure what you believe and why and, and you can't answer from the scriptures why you believe that and I'm not doing that to shame you I'm just saying friends it shouldn't be that way in 1 Peter 3.15, it says, always be prepared to give an answer to those who ask to give a reason for the hope that lies within you, but do this with gentleness and respect. Yeah, we have to, you gotta study up. You gotta be a, a, a Berean. I got just a few resources here, just, and they're listed in there too, but I, no, read these by next week, okay? No. I mean, just, you pick and choose. This book, The Story of Reality, is a fantastic book that explains the gospel. A guy came in and helped me paint the, the children's room last week, and I gave him a copy of this. It's fantastic. It's a real simple explanation of the gospel. The Reason for God's a classic one that's basically like explaining, uh, you know, in today's language. This one's fantastic. If you're a science nerd and you like this kind of stuff and you really need to get convinced, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist is fantastic. You will not be able to read this book and, and say that you're an atheist at the end or it, you will trust Christ after this book. So if you got somebody who's a real egghead, you can give them that one. Okay, um, these two are great. Uh, when skeptics ask and when uh, critics ask, they're kind of old school, but they, they answer all these apparent contradictions in the Bible. And they're great. So some of the Bible's full of contradictions. Oh, really, bro? Show me one. And then he, uh, well, no, I just saw it on CNN or whatever. He's like, you know. And then, and then that's the case. Then you just go, okay, well, show me. And then this will explain how you can answer that question. And then the last one is, this is a brand new evidence that demands a verdict. It's been updated. So it's kind of old school, but it's been updated. It's fantastic. So take a look at those. There's a few apps. 
as a podcast stand a reason that is great and they have a quick reference app that will give you you can just in the middle of a conversation click it and then it'll give you some answers and things like that you guys there's stuff out there okay there's stuff out there and so now have the courage just to be sent we have good news and if you need persuading this morning like you're not sure you got to search it it's worth it hold the ideas up to light be of good courage we have truth on our side and it's a superior idea. And don't be bullied by culture and shamed into silence. Don't let them tell you that faith is a personal matter, that you don't talk about it because it makes people uncomfortable. And listen, if you're still wavering and not sure if Christianity is true or not, be a Berean, not a Thessalonian. If you still got questions, give me an email um, and we'll go get a coffee. We'll just make sure it's Dunkin' Donuts or... Or peace, all right? Okay, let me pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much for today. Father, I'm so thankful for you that you've given us truth. You've given us history and verifiable things, Lord, to allow us to see. Lord, you've given us a scripture that we can reason from it. Give us the strength, Lord, and of courage and character to be able to convince others and be convinced ourselves of what is true. So we love you today, God. It's in your name we pray, amen.